Man, it's good to be back. It's been a week and a day since we went live. Right? That's right. You've been in Bitcoin Amsterdam, and I got to watch it from afar, but how was it on the ground there? It was great, man. Great uh, conference. Um, big fan of these smaller European conferences. They're always very um, comfortable, and you see the people you want to see again and again. So, you know, it's not like the big 26,000 person thing where you meet someone and then they just disappear. And it's like you're going to spend quality time with quality people, um, talks, even for, you know, middle of the bear market. Or I guess, I guess the popular thing to say now is that we're not in a bear market and that uh, year to date we're up uh, yeah. X almost. So, yeah, I mean, I've been seeing a lot of bullish content put, pop up on X. Dude, Twitter people live or die for the pump. I got a hate yesterday because I posted that people are overextended in Bitcoin and that's why they're cheering for this ETF. By the way, I was proven right today. Coin Telegraph just falsely reported that the BlackRock iShares Bitcoin spot ETF was approved. It was not. Um, the price by like $600. It's been up. We're up about a thousand over yesterday. It's hilarious. We're still above 2,800. And Cointelegraph hasn't come out and issued an apology or correction or they edit. All they did is they said, here, wait, I'll get the right, the, the whole uh, breaking uh, block, you know, iShares ETF spot, Bitcoin ETF approved. And then they edited the tweet, put a comment at the end, just said reportedly after BlackRock wow. came out and said, this is not true. Uh, so what their source is, but they're, what a hilarious, um, too. good job calling it. Well, it's yeah, I didn't call fire, right? I don't know, man. I mean, to be honest, like this kind of thing happens, like it's happened at Bitcoin Magazine before. I'm sure I've even like tweeted shit that turned out like poorly sourced. You know, you get a little excited, but it's just that's what I'm talking about. People like live or die for the pump. They don't they're not thinking rationally about anything else. They're retweeting and sending out things that support their underlying beliefs because they're overextended in Bitcoin and they need to uh, see price appreciation or they're screwed from a financial standpoint because we're down so bad. But I guess to clarify, my definition of overextended might not be other people's. By overextended, I mean like you'd get liquidated. Okay, but maybe you don't have any, maybe you didn't purchase any Bitcoin with leverage. You could still be over allocated. And uh, what that means is you're uncomfortable at this price level. Like you need a Bitcoin pump to achieve your goals and feel fulfilled. You are uh, a forced seller or could become a forced seller. That means your allocation is probably uh, a little far, but only you can decide. I mean, I don't know. But when you're in that position, just think about the incentives for you to support anything that boosts the Bitcoin price. Right. Even if it's something like a spot ETF that doesn't really benefit plebs and wider peer-to-peer no trusted third-party adoption at all. It just increases institutional capture. So why are we cheering for this thing? Why are we cheering for the ETF? It's because people are not I wonder the same thing. Yeah. Because they're it not what? To, it, it goes back to this idea that most people just, they're not building anything. They're sitting around at home waiting for the price to pump. 
and they're they're people who don't help Q, the Q literally laying with his head on some kind of stuffed animal, shirtless. They're sitting around to uh, hop off to go throw up. So yeah, all... I'm just teasing you. I'm just teasing you. Q's so he's we're happy to have him at all today. Absolutely. Um, I don't know. It's I'm not you know on the uh thing. I think greater institutional adoption is great. Everyone loves a good price pump. I'm not gonna lie, it's it's it feels good. But um, I don't want all the Bitcoin to be in the hands of banks and institutions. I want it to be in the hands of unions. Uh, I mean, we can get into that story. And uh, places in the world that are afflicted by bad monetary policy, horrible, like, cratic monetary policy and uh, yeah. monetary basement. So <clears throat> I think to get right into our first story of the day... Argentinian uh, government has abolished income taxes and a host of other taxes in kind of a last minute play to undermine Javier, is it Millet? How do you say it? Millet. Javier, Javier Millet. Yes, uh, this radical kind of irreverent up and coming politician who looks like he's going to win. I mean, is I'm not very, very steeped so. in Argentinian politics, but it looks like he's going to get a quorum here and uh, sweep the election. But I think the issue is um, that they separate money from state. It's the same as any state. Like they're just much more advanced version of where we are now, where it's like constant monetary debasement, 190% inflation on the year, I think so far. Yeah. Something crazy like that. Um, income, not sorry, income, to sales taxes of over 20%. And so what the government's doing is trying to win brownie points. You know, a lot of governments... Um, or, you know, running up to election, they vow to slash taxes and slash this and slash that. It's not enough that Argentinian people have heard these promises before. So this government just went ahead and did it. Now, obviously, they can rescind that. But the crazy part is they're saying the quiet part out loud, which is that we, we don't need your taxes because we can just ramp up this inflation to 300, 400, 500 percent. Yeah. And fund it. Pull back the curtain. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I don't know the locals when they see that they're just like, well, what was the point in the beginning? Do you think they put two and two together? I don't know. I'm not sure I would have if I if I, um, never had Bitcoin and kind of looked into this stuff. I don't know if I would have. Uh... Yeah, I wonder if they, if they, you know, we live in the U.S. and a lot of people don't pay attention to that, but their money is falling apart and it has many times in the past. So I wonder if they have a, you know, they pay closer attention to that and they have a better perspective on it. Yeah, they're probably looking for um to get him out of this mess. I Javier on the one hand seems really well spoken, but he doesn't I'm not sure what his qualifications are as a politician. Not that you need any uh special politicians uh necessarily, but I'm interested in what his <clears throat> monetary policy would be. I mean, he wanted to do did he want to dollarize the country? I should have heard that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure if that's true, but I think he just wanted to get rid of this whole uh, Argentinian currency thing. So um, that's a central bank. Yeah, that's a step in the right direction for sure. I mean, I think I think that's what we're gonna see over the next decade or two. I think we're gonna see the collapse of uh, currencies down to just a few core, stronger ones, and kind of a parallel system where individuals are using Bitcoin as a means of savings or just as a means of like freedom you know get me out of this surveillance cbdc system yeah by the way i gotta tell you sorry i'm kind of all over the place dude the second we got to the netherlands last week 
it was hilarious. I'm like walking around with my team, you know, hanging out with Nolan and stuff. And we're going, we're just like trying to get some groceries, get some food. None of our cards work. None of these stores take cash. They don't take MasterCard. They don't take Visa. They take some fucking stupid Dutch like card that nobody has. <laughs> so we couldn't buy anything. And I'm like, these people are so ready for a CBDC. They need, just give them the CBDC. They're dying for it. <laughs> like they don't, nobody even saw it as a problem. The storekeeper was like, what? You don't have this niche credit card that nobody in the world uses? Yeah, you know, was, they don't have some sort of bridge for MasterCard. and Visa. Dude, it was yeah. a supermarket. I was like, this is insane. You don't take yeah. cash or Visa. That's <laughs> like, weird. How... I remember going last year and I was buying all the weed with my Visa credit card. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We bought some. Yeah, the we, the coffee shops, no problem. We bought um, bought weed with the uh, MasterCard. It wasn't everywhere, but it was enough places to be like, there's some like, seriously spooky ready for CBDC's capture over here. And you know how it is. It's, it's all very... Um, conscious uh ideals um people are not keen on questioning authority at all i mean this is like kind of it's the kind of mindset that allowed like germans to be completely brainwashed and co-opted in the 40s and you see it again today like there's hopes about it just how the linguistic manipulation by the government is just setting the stage for basically super sheep-like behavior it's it's really sad to see um, kind of spooky over there. Spooky time to be in Europe anyway. I was telling these guys before the uh, ring, there was a massive uh, in right when I left my hotel to get back. Um, we had them everywhere. Not not a good deal. I, I understand they're, they're able to kind of peacefully protest here, but it just feels tense. feels like a tense time to be in Europe. It seems like the um, ideologies are, are just kind of like, they're not even questioned. It's just quietly, everything is just... Okay, business says you let's pretend everything's normal here while we lose more and more of our rights and live in kind of smaller and smaller pods and, you know, get our automobiles taken away and drive bicycles around. Oh, my <laughs> God. Just, oh, man, it's scary. I don't know. It may it confirmed to me that I don't I'm not in a place where I want to live in a city anytime soon. We were talking about that, Tito. Yeah. Yeah. Get away from the population centers. Make find a way to have your own water source, your own food source, ideally, or no neighbors who, who farm. But this is the thing like, how do you talk about that without sounding crazy to normal people? I mean, doesn't matter because they think so different anyway. Like, what you're just saying is these people are ready for a CBDC. So, so do we need to convince all of them? Like, yeah, at some point, you just got to take care of yourself, you got to do what seems right to you. Yeah, you can't opinion. save everyone. <laughs> I think my only other kind of interesting surveillance experience when I was heading over there, I was boarding a plane to get out. Oh, I wanted to hear about that. And yeah. yeah, yeah. so I'm on this um, flight into Amsterdam and they have kind of an auto boarding process there. You know, group one, group two, you go up, you stand in this box and it just like scans yeah. you and then you go in. You don't have to talk to anybody or anything like that. And I saw the flight before do that. And I went up to the desk and I was like, I'm not doing that. Can I please do something else? And the lady was like, yeah, sure. Why don't you just board right now? So instead of being, you know, group seven or whatever, <laughs> like terrible position uh, in the ticketing line I was, they, I got right on the plane. It was great. So in case you're wondering, you can, you know, politely decline to do the biometric scan and stuff. Eventually, the funny thing was, you know, it starts like that, but eventually it'll be mandatory, eh? Well, I was going to say it already is. So when I was re-entering the U.S., 
we're hilariously all sitting there all with our passports and every single person around me in the line is like, why didn't we just fly to Mexico and walk in? Like, why are we doing this? This is, it's taking forever. They're all pissed because like us as U.S. citizens, we have to stand there. We have to go give them an address. Where are we going? You know, where have we been? Do we have anything to declare? Take your picture, you know, scan your hand. It's like right. process. Um, yeah, I don't just know. just want to opt into the, to the surveillance account so that you can walk in. What, what global entry? Is that where they say not, not, there's like another account that uh, recommended that I get a couple years ago when I was traveling a lot abroad. And it is like a game changer when you're coming back to the States. Like you, you still have to like scare, take a picture of your face when you get in, but you essentially like pre-done all of these things, like where your government ID and entered your um, information of where you're. Is it called clear? No. No, no, no. It's not like one of these things that get you through TSA on the way out. It's like TPCC or TPM or something. I, actually, I have my phone right here. It is called CBPMPC. Because the app. Wow. Rolls off the tongue. Wow. Just um... <laughs> waiting for that honeypot of biometrics to get hacked, huh? Yeah, oh. fuck that. You know, there was a time before passports where you could just go to a place <laughs> and nothing <laughs> would happen. I'm, I'm like, to remember that. That's what I'm like. Super. The probably my favorite part about being an American citizen is our country is just so vast. Yeah, and with so many different geographies and clients. So realistically, you know, let's say like everything goes to shit, you can never leave the states again. It's yeah. not terrible. Not a terrible place to be. You know what I mean? Like, can I, you imagine being stuck in Holland? <laughs> that, that's what worries. Yeah, Europe kind of worries me. I, I wouldn't want to live. Freaks there, me out. No, yeah. freaks me out. Yeah, and, and the uh, other thing, a lot of Americans who are freedom have a freedom mindset. You know, they they exist. There's a lot of them out there. Yeah, there are. I mean, I mean, more and more of them. I think there's two types of them. There's two flavors, right? Like important to be an optimistic, uh, fictional arbitrage player, like get into this pessimistic sort of view in the world. Like what we're doing is very different than just like begrudgingly like blot the world and uh, prepping yeah. and just, you know what I mean? It's like, actually, we're just thinking our adversarially and trying to reclaim a Zemplin of uh and um ability over our own kind of assets and selves but <clears throat> sure and coincidentally was... it's a healthier way to live happier yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 when you start choosing what you put in your body and how you spend your time <laughs> you can wind up a yeah. lot healthier that's crazy um yeah. rather just kind of going with the flow but i was thinking about this a ton uh and I mean, obviously, just kind of glued to the phone reading about the uh, Palestinian conflict. And man, land is such a shitcoin. It's so sad. Um, it feels like that here. Maybe there are other places in the world that are just like kind of lost and, and forgotten about that you can disappear. But you're always just subject to the guy with the bigger stick. It's kind of corner. I think we don't talk about this enough. I mean, there's a couple of people out there doing, doing work and but it's got to be done without trying to benefit off it selling, you know, a $300,000 passport. Like that's not, that yeah. tells me, you know what I mean? I mean, fair game, yeah. but I just that's think being more too. ready to be somewhat digitally nomadic or, or fully, 
nomadic, preparing to leave and vote with your feet and jurisdictionally hop places. Germano has given me shit. He's like, well, you don't have kids, man. You try doing all that with, uh, fair enough. (laughs) Yeah. There's also, I mean, I was, I had Bitcoin before I owned land and I was surprised at how unsecure owning land felt. It just, yeah. like, just cause you know that a government can take it away from you if they see fit, if, if uh, <clears throat> you do something wrong, something they don't like, but Bitcoin is the opposite, you know, they, they, it's impossible for them to take it away from me oh. and I can move it with me wherever I need to go. The crazy thing is the way to, um, increase the security of your Bitcoin stack with land. You know, they complement each other very well, I think. Sure, yeah. Um, with you, I mean, as a landowner, it's like, it does feel, it feels way more secure than living in an apartment in a city. You know, you have a little more space, you have privacy, you have a uh, course if something goes wrong, you know, you know how crazy like a city can turn into, you know, yeah. just a completely uh, out protest zone and in a matter of hours or days especially in this environment where everything like everywhere you turn in terms of social media or or stream media is sensationalization stream it's like have a good idea of what the protests around the world are like because you're going to get the most action-packed violent uh cinematic moments of these protests so we're really far removed from reality as people and i think we're really far removed from our local reality and that's the other benefit of maybe you're not even a landowner like maybe you live in some kind of co-op or kibbutz or maybe you're you know you're with all your friends living together right somewhere and you've got a little bit of space like that's that's around you a little bit more than if you're um being in a pod in uh yeah in the bronx having ownership (laughs) makes you care about your space and uh, can build things and know that it's for you and you can manage things how you want, which is different from renting where you don't have any incentive to better the property or change it or anything like that. But it's also like Bitcoin a little bit where you don't start questioning. I mean, most people, I think it's fair to question or dig deep into the monetary system. They accept it. It works for them. You know, the boiling point's not high enough. Um, I put my card in, I get some gas, I leave. Like it's, it, it, yeah. it fiat does work on, on certain timescales. So with taking back, you know, I'm not even talking about full-blown homesteading, but just starting to question the infrastructure around you. Where do I get my energy? Where do I get my water? What type of water is this? Like, what am I getting? You know, yeah. what am yeah. I eating? Yeah. Where am I sourcing 100%. my food? What is in these grocery stores? Like not almost not just a chemical, you know? It's like a bio lab. Fun. Always happy to go off on a good upper tangent here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, so, the other story for the day is really us um, had. I knew they had a lot, and I know we won't ever know how much they really have. But Uncle Sam's got more than two hundred thousand Bitcoin, but I don't think they really have it. So what they have is like of confiscated hardware wallets from what they deem to be like money launderers. It's it's stolen from other people. Um, I don't know. But I don't think they're competent enough to get into these hardware wallets. I think they'll find... That's what I was wondering. Do they actually have the keys? Or is it just... Definitely not in every case. Definitely not in every case. Because there's no reason to keep them in different... Why would you keep the money in the hardware wallet you confiscated? Which is what's being reported happened. 
you know, you would sweep it right. into a more secure institutional right. setup, like a nice bureaucratic hardware wallet. You know, they've got their own internal Chivo, I'm sure. Um, no, they, actually, they don't yet. That's the problem. Yeah. They're like totally incompetent about this stuff. Not the best with IT. Yeah, yeah. My, I, I hope all that Bitcoin's just swept and they think they're like, I've found the Bitcoin. It's just an empty wallet. Um, yeah, 5.5 billion USD today. More now. Holy shit, guys. We just jumped up like $400. Price is going nuts here. Oh, yeah. Um, Cointelegraph's doing. Maybe they made out something else. Broke the price. That's the first time, by the way, that I've seen um, an article coin in a while ah 42 but seconds I've also ago been this is hilarious what happened coin telegraph we apologize that for the tweet that led to the dissemination of inaccurate information regarding the block stream uh, sorry the blackrock bitcoin etf an internal investigation is underway we'll share the findings of the investigation with with the public once it's concluded in three hours yes yeah, somebody's getting fired <laughs> I've been also seeing this news about uh, the SEC not appealing the grayscale conversion of their uh, an ETF. Yeah, that was a couple days ago, right? Um, Sent the price up. Sure, yeah. sure. I people a little bit in the weeds. I'm like, who who cares about this? You know, the, <laughs> they're going to approve that within the year. We're going to have them. You know, it's coming. Yeah, it, yeah. they still the path to reverse deny the future spot ETFs to therefore then like have path to deny all these is still in the cards. That would be crazy. But it, it's not an that out of crazy. the question right. strategy by the SEC. Because that's the, the whole grayscale case literally is tied to the fact that the futures ETFs were already approved. So if they just go back and deny them, then that grayscale loses its case because it has nothing to point to. Oh. Shout out Joe Carlosari for that. Shout out I'm Joe just... Carlosari for retweeting me for the first time ever. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. Somebody's so... getting fired over at Cointelegraph. That's crazy. Did I say Coindesk before? I meant no. Cointelegraph. Sorry. Nice. I'm going to hit up Joe and see if they've got any job openings later today. <laughs> yes. This economy, first and foremost, Q needs a job. So make sure you zap. If you're watching on zap.stream. Um, Just you know, know that you're giving it all to the chain and I haven't seen a dime. <laughs> you haven't seen a dime, but you've seen, uh, you might see some sats uh, one of these days. <laughs> We need uh we've got a week to get Q 14 days to get Q to Tokyo. I will say so the uh, we're gonna need a lot more zaps. The the curve it has moved enough to where like you can actually see there's like a little orange thing on this marker on zap.stream. Yeah, there's a couple pixels, right? We're really close to achieving our goal. <laughs> Uh, any other stories you guys wanted to get into today? I know there's there's some news we kind of talked about before the show. Um, a little bit um to talk too much about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict just because it's not related to what we do. I mean, I'm not going to go out there and tell you, like, these people just need Bitcoin. They need a lot more than just Bitcoin. And uh, I think we're all following it fairly closely, but I don't think um, like the right person to talk about that. 
I don't know enough about it. I'm learning a lot. And so I think, yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's anything you wanted to share today. We might cover it a little bit in the future, but it's not really within the, uh, the show to talk about this. I just, I hope it ends as swiftly as possible with as few deaths as possible. And I hope we can do something to minimize this sort of um, ability and check our impulse to call for war. If there's anything I've learned from this is that Ben Shapiro is retarded. Uh, <laughs> that's like the undermining. Like, what to be honest with you, like the journalism on even both sides of this is like fairly inaccurate and it's like the calls to bomb Iran are so laughable at best. And I think it's more telling that despite the rumors going out that Iran had something to do with this, Israel, which has not been a fan of Iran for over 30 years, takes any opportunity to kick Iran while they're down, has been doing a press circuit rescinding these claims and saying that we have no evidence that Iran was involved. That to me is a very telling sign that there is mixed incentives involved in this issue and that certain powers that be want to benefit from this conflict. And I'm just going to point to two, I want two stories. One, to put a bow on this one. So the loudest person in the room calling to bomb the Iranian oil fields is Lindsey Graham. I don't really care what side of the aisle you sit on. I think especially since we've seen Lindsey Graham enter the national political fray since 2016, it's safe to say like if you're with Lindsey Graham, you're probably on the wrong side of things. That's just surface level. <laughs> Dig into the weeds. Type, type it on whatever search platform you like to use because this is all public information. If you type in Lindsey Graham donors, you can look up who his largest donors were from 2017 to 2022. Tina, do you know who his largest donor was during that time? Of course I don't, but tell me. The Republican Israeli coalition. But it gets better. You want to know who his number two donor is during this time? Who? Lockhead Martin. Sounds to me like those are two groups that really benefit from the idea of bombing Iranian oil fields. And just for future reference, in case anyone's wondering, it only cost about $200,000 combined for those two groups to get that level of sway and influence over Lindsey Graham. Good Lord. And then the final note is, as many of us are aware, Chancellor on the brink of second bailout for banks, one of the most famous phrases in Bitcoin. But in the same Times article, another headline is right there if you go and look it up. And it's Israel in, to invade Gaza with tanks and troops. This is something that came out almost 14 years ago. In January, it will be 14 years ago since that, that Times issue was the headline. And here we are with that headline, both headlines, candidly, ringing more true today than they ever have. Mm. So what you're saying is nothing changes under the fiat regime. No. Yeah. I don't really trust any of these people, to be honest. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I, I've been on Twitter all morning while we've been here. And for example, Spain is now saying that we're going to prosecute Netanyahu for war crimes. And Israel is dropping 
sulfuric gas, which is also a war crime. And then we white sulfuric gas too. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, no it, it is white phosphorus. You're right. Um, and a nod to one one final thing. And I, I'm high about this. I believe in a free Palestine. I believe in a two state solution. Um, anti-Semitic for believing those things. And if you think I am, I think you lack intellectual integrity and honesty with yourself. Um, call to and, and look up the United Nations Security Council Resolution 242, adopted in 1967, clearly stating that any occupied land has the right to defend itself by whatever means necessary. There is a reason why Israel will never take this to an international court. They will never win. They know they are in the wrong. Attack me all you want. I don't care. Uh, I was just say you, you'd be you're on the verge of being arrested in Germany for this uh, pinders. Oh no! I, I fully anticipate to be attacked for like the stance. I mean, dude, I was at a Jewish wedding on Saturday. Like, <laughs> how'd that go for you? Yeah. We, I ended up, well, this is a question that I posed that honestly, like a Jewish wedding or a Zionist wedding, Jewish. Kind so, of. I, there was, I, I don't even think my girlfriend said that there was a moment of silence for Israel. I was like, I don't remember that. And then like the one friends with like made a joke about Kanye, but like that was the extent of. That is, I'm kind of holding my tongue here. I'm waiting for a uh, leader from yay on this <laughs> issue. <laughs> Look, I, I'm not saying this, but Hollywood is absolutely run by Jews. It's the only industry in the world where you get Yom Kippur. Hollywood? <laughs> Let's zoom I, out here. I mean, it's a lot more than just Hollywood. Totally, but like it's the, easiest, it's the easiest thing to point to. And my favorite example is like such a high concentration of the Jewish population that works in this industry that it is normalized to take Jewish holidays off, even if you yourself are not Jewish. I'm culturally Jewish, though. Same. My biggest regret <laughs> when I first started working in Hollywood was the HR exec like thought I was Jewish. And he came up to me and was like, hey, I, I noticed you didn't take Yom Kippur off tomorrow, but if you need to take it off, you can. I was like, oh, I'm not Jewish. Nice. <laughs> biggest regret. Uh, watching uh, Twitter blow up on that. This is a good point. So I think that uh, CoinGraph just gave the SEC more kind of bullets in the chamber against approving a spot ETF. They're going to point to this, like, look at madness in the markets. This is too much volatility for the people. They have too much power, you know, two to three percent uh, pump. That's that's much. They're, they're credit investors. They shouldn't have access to that. We can't let the price get out of hand here. Well, there's also like I saw BTC sessions tweeting this and it, it's so accurate, but the events of this morning prove that this whole narrative of, oh, the ETF is, is priced into Bitcoin. No, it is not. Who thinks that? Well, there's that the narrative that gets shared a good, good amount of times where people are like, oh, but the ETF is, is priced in, the happening is priced in, this is priced in, that's priced in. Well, based on the price action of today alone, we can comfortably say like, no, price action of an ETF approval is not priced into the current price of Bitcoin. We just got a confirmation that it was not our friend uh, Paul who tweeted that. He claims uh, he's got by. He's on a flight to, I believe, probably going to the Plan B conference in Lugano. Um, no, I don't think there's that. I. Th 
these kind of things happen all the time. I mean, they don't send the price surging, but I think one of these outlets misrepresents and misreports something on Twitter every single day of the week. I mean, it's, I, I just see this as, as big of a deal. What do you think? Are you going to roll your IRA <laughs> over into uh Bitcoin spot ETF once approved Q? Um, probably not. Probably not. Like I got a decent chunk of change in there, but I probably wouldn't. I wouldn't either. Hmm. It just depends. But if I have the option, I'm taking the tax hit and getting cold hard, cold hard Bitcoin. True, but then you can also do it again. There, there is the advantage of like the type of IRA account you have. Like if you have an Roth IRA account, it probably actually behooves you to buy some Bitcoin in it because it theoretically is going to get hold for held there for 20, 30, 40 years without mm-hmm. withdrawal. And then the day where you can theoretically withdraw it for fiat, it's a tax-free event. You wouldn't have to pay an income tax on it. I don't, I don't trust the government for five minutes. Uh, I mean, 30 years. The only the only <laughs> rational way to to I think explore that would be because you believe that income tax will still exist and take 65 minus your age. And if you think in that number of years there will still be a federally mandated income tax, then it behooves you to have some exposure, I think, in a Roth IRA for reasons strictly of you wouldn't pay an income tax on the, those gains. Nice, nice. We should uh to some questions here. Oh, I like this one. So considering the evolution of Bitcoin narratives over the years, we've seen the rise and fall of many. A lot of them are sheer cope. What do you think the next predominant narrative will be in this, in this space? space? I mean, you you pointed to the ETF. That's certainly, but that's going to come and go within months here. I'm talking about broader overarching. Bitcoin is a store of value. Bitcoin is this. Bitcoin fixes everything, you know. I mean, I don't necessarily think this is like the the next thing to happen, but I do think there is a possibility that we have opportunity. So let me phrase. There's a chance that in the near future, a growing narrative is around accountability you already have a country like El Salvador that has adopted Bitcoin as legal tender. Now their government isn't using Bitcoin in their day-to-day interactions, but what this public ledger theoretically would allow us to do is to hold our governments accountable for their spending in a way that no government has ever been held accountable for their spending ever. And I think that once people start to realize that opportunity that you have when your country or your government or your leadership even within your own business has is adopting a bitcoin standard and therefore you can see a new level of transparency and a new level of accountability on how your leadership spends its money allocates its funds where what they're prioritizing with their money i think it becomes a no-brainer once once people grasp and understand that that is a possibility. Hmm. What's the overarching narrative distilled to a bite? 
Bitcoin is the only form of money that can keep governments accountable for their spending. Yeah, I think that's been true. Um, I, I wonder how that will direct people's actions because I don't think, I mean, the government's not going to let go of this ability to, to money. It, it won't be, it won't be like the government doing it out of the kindness of their heart. Like, Hey, we're going to Bitcoin. So you guys can hold us accountable. Like, no, no, we'll have to be called upon by the citizens and the citizens themselves will have to understand and appreciate that that can be done. Right. This is where I think that some ways we've taken the path of most resistance. Like there are kind of anomalies like El Salvador, but that could change if the regime changes. Right. And it's also what we've seen is the citizens don't really care about Bitcoin or, or actually use it. Um, the option to, I mean, it's pretty interesting, of course, that Bukele gave people that sort of check of power over, over the government where they can now accumulate wealth, um, of trusted third sort of state rails. That's what we're all here for. Um, pushes back on the ETF narrative. It's like, well, I'm going to use that. I understand there are, there are, I want businesses to hold Bitcoin. So in that way, it's sort of good, gives them exposure to the price. But at the end of the day, the more important thing here is, um, this is a little more autonomy and power to protect themselves from the government. And uh, the beautiful thing is you can start actually thinking about, well, where do I want to go in the world? You know, I can exit. You can up with your state and your government um, and coin across the border. I do it a lot. Every time I travel, I have a lot of fun. Um, Bitcoin with me. Um, of hardware wallets or brain wallets, just not a lot. Just it's it's just fun to cross the border and just know like, ah, I have my wealth with me and nothing, there's nothing anybody can do about it. Were you able to spend any Bitcoin outside of the conference? <clears throat> yeah, I went to a South African steakhouse and it said, we accept Bitcoin. Um, and that the only reason you went? No, I went because it was close. Okay. Amsterdam's like a big city, man. And you can't, you know, the driving's insane. So it's like, you don't want to get stuck walking. The weather's terrible. So it's like, all right, this is close. Argentina just happened to say, you know, we accept Bitcoin. I think it was a partner of the conference, to be honest, or something. But uh, <laughs> they were getting frustrated because, like, we see someone out the window. We know everybody. We all go to these conferences all over the world. And we just kept pulling more and more people into the restaurant. And, you know, they're Europeans. They don't get tips. They're like, I don't, I don't get paid enough for this. There's too many people here. <laughs> uh, fit from doing more work at all because they're, they're already paid like pretty well as entry level employees. So they're getting frustrated. We're taking over tables of Bitcoiners. And then they think, I don't usually like to harass people about paying in Bitcoin just because I think it's just, it's weird. I think orange pill culture is just fucking weird. I mean, if the conversation comes about naturally, I love to talk to vendors that I frequent. But if I'm like one off in a some kind of restaurant with a bunch of Bitcoiners, I leave it to someone else to ask that question and go into it. And if I were to do it, usually I say, you know, would you like your your tip in Bitcoin? Because that then they're incentivized to actually take it. But anyway, um, like sure enough, one goes up and uh, uh, tries Bitcoin, confused. She's like, yeah, we accept it in theory, but like, are you seriously going to make me do this right now? And uh, yeah, uh, they had to find a way to do it. I don't know. They didn't have, they had the software in their POS, but they didn't know how to use it. Ultimately, it like didn't work. It's just a horrible th thing for everybody. <laughs> I just want to. I'm just, you didn't get her number after that. 
Oh no, she was cool with me because I was like, "Yeah, they're retarded." Here's a credit card. Uh, <laughs> 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 you know, like, these are crazy people. I don't know what their their money. What is this Bitcoin <laughs> thing that they're talking yeah, about? Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't. I played the other because I could see her rolling her eyes already just at the number of us. Uh, uh, all you guys asking to split the check too, like, oh, worst. Yeah, that is always a thing too. You get to the end of these dinners and it's like, why haven't we built something that splits invoices? How hard could that be to just split a lightning invoice so we can all pay for the meal? <laughs> it's got to yeah. exist. There's got to be an app. Someone send me that app. I need it. Um, I've seen it done in video games, like Bitcoin video games. You can put up uh, of sats. You play the game. Win, lose, or draw. The sats are divided between like you whoever you're playing against and the developer. We just need that for bill splitting at the end. You know, you're paying for your meal. Everybody chips into the pot and then it, yeah. But nonetheless, super fun and re-energizing to be um, Bitcoiners again. Um, really even more excited to be around Nostra users. There were so many Nostra users that came up to me in Amsterdam and we just had great time hanging out you know talking about the, the the call and getting other people onboarded there are a lot of people um up trying it out coming up asking how this and that works uh, what clients you know they should be using that was super bullish it was super fun to talk to um Noden. i did an interview with him trying to get some tips and um from our talk we had a vip kind of backstage talk um op asked a question Renee Picard asked a question and then also um, read with Snowden on something. So they had a little back and forth. It was pretty interesting. And then Avi, shout out um, to him. So we had a lot of good Noster discussions with Snowden and on the main stage as well. I mean, he brought it up as well. Some It's a pretty, pretty serious tone from both he and Stella, but I'm really happy to see that they're a part of that community. It's really going to help grow the thing. You know, it gives cultural buy-in and gets other people interested. Um, and, you know, you need these influencers. I'm excited for the first big influencer to join Noster that's like outside of this realm of kind of surveillance and self-sovereignty and just like crazy Bitcoin people. Um, that I think there's, I don't, I don't know right now, but we need to expand. I think everyone come out, came out of this conference agreeing. We talked about this a lot on stage. We actually threw the first main stage Noster talk at a Bitcoin conference ever, which is super fun. And I was saying, I think it'll be the norm. Like every conference will in some ways be a Noster and a Bitcoin conference in the future. So I think you'll see people taking um, in Bitcoin. I think you'll see a lot of the social media infrastructure for these conferences, the marketing go out on Noster. Um, I'd be years into the future probably, but um, I think everyone went away kind of agreeing look to increase adoption we got to get out of this bitcoin kind of echo chamber and we need more community buy-in for more kind of diverse people with more diverse interests so i got a question for you what was yeah. uh, snowden's opinion or, or critiques of noster what is he hoping that gets improved and you know did he have good feedback on how yeah. to improve things? yeah it, it was that mostly he said the the people are just it's just bitcoiners talking about bitcoin um need more communities his other critique is uh, i've talked about this before so he accesses um over a vpn and tor and it it's it complicated between clients like the agreement and then 
whatever personal relays he and his massive following uses. So he'll post things sometimes and you as a follower might not see it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a bug particularly between Tor and whatever client he's using. I don't want to call out any particular clients. I think he's messaged most of them been like, can you address this so that I could get, you know, communicate on here? Yeah. Um, I think I've told this story before, but he was messaging me and I didn't see the messages for like two weeks. And he was just hitting me up like, come on, <laughs> like we need, to, <laughs> we need to plan this. Like, why are yeah. you responding? And then I was like, oh man, I'm so embarrassed. I didn't see. Um, a similar thing happened. So that was faux pas number one with uh, old Ed, but faux pas number two on my part, I'm like on stage, we're getting ready to go live with Snowden. Everyone's freaking out. The tech crew is freaking out. The audience is fucking packed. There's like 2,500 people in there. I'm sitting on my laptop, you know, um, way up in the AV studio and my phone's just blowing up. They're like, he's not here yet. He's not here. You know, the music cues count down. They're like, he's gotta be here. And then I see in the corner of my laptop, it's like Ed requesting to join. I just forgot to, uh, ah. <laughs> and we almost missed it. So I'm like blowing up his manager. Like, dude, where's he? And he's just, he's just right there waiting <laughs> completely punctual. So that was stupid, but <clears throat> no, man, I, I think, uh, I think his great. You know, some of them technically are kind of beyond my understanding. Uh, it will to, to see more active participation and feedback from him. You know, yeah. I think like I did a lot to promote this culture of like, tell that's what you think. Like this design choice. Yeah. This is how I feel about it. You know, this uh, another way we can implement this. Maybe DMs aren't. I think DMs, most people can agree, are a tough sell on Noster too. Like they're used to bots. I, I'm sure they still exist who had messaged who and it becomes kind of this like scandal you know what i mean you can yeah. see you can log in you can take a public key and uh to my account yeah and you can't see the message but you could see if i was just like messaging someone endlessly you know what i mean they're not responding yeah, or something like the joke right. always is yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I think it's uh, a lot of that. There's a lot of inbounds, particularly for like influencers or like really regular people that are on there, like Ed or, or Jack or Estella or something. You'll right. see who's messaged them like 900 times and never gotten a response. <laughs> um, problem. So yeah. you got to uh, yeah, work on the privacy side of that. I know that there's things that are possible, but I think more importantly, the idea of this. <clears throat> cue in the messaging and this kind of like token system that simplex build off of that idea i think that's something i talked to will about this a little bit at answer i think it's something he's considering doing for damas as well um and just uh like a static channel you just have kind of this temporary cue that that appears after their the the content is pulled down in red again i'm probably butchering that don't don't mean for anything technical but <laughs> that's as i've gotten with it yeah 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 i don't know enough to even have an opinion but i like i would like like a shutdown to a dm that'd be cool to send people well, uh, uh, what do you mean on nostr a share button to a dm yeah like oh to just send a post to yeah. a dm yeah to a friend or something like that instead of having oh a... yeah well I mean, like you, you can, can just you link can them. Yeah, no, I know that. You just want a smoother UI to just send to your That's top it, message yeah. people. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah I like cool. that feature. Those actually scare me because 
sometimes I'll be on like a different social media platform and it pops up like I'll just like, something and it'll like send a DM of whatever oh. I'm watching to someone. And I'm like, yeah, Wait, I, <laughs> I didn't want to. It's like, it's, it was too simple. It was like one click and you like yeah. slide your thumb and you've just sent, you know, whatever you're watching. Yeah, we need it to be whatever. a three step process just so the devs know. Yeah, yeah. It's gotta be. It's gotta be a couple so you don't fat finger it. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so I guess I didn't really answer this question. Considering the evolution of the Bitcoin narratives of the years, what could be the next predominant narrative? I think we're going to recycle narratives of old. I think I come back to this idea of Bitcoin as savings and things that circle around, you know, oh, now it's a medium of exchange, a store of value, and soon it'll be a unit of account. I mean, I believe in these largely, you know, number go up on a long enough time frame. Um, but at a certain point, there's nuance to all of these. They're just too general. They're, they're the, um, you're in this for a short term. Bitcoin is not a good <laughs> method of savings. If you've been, you know, the last uh, few years here, you're down bad. So I don't know. I think more nuance is necessary. You got to look under the hood of some of these narratives. I think they're most useful and fun to kind of draw people in top of funnel, but then you kind of, you can misalign their expectations. Then people over allocate, you know, they take out loan. They do silly things like take out loans to buy Bitcoin. It's like your income comes like As you know, grand, by grand a month. And you, now you've got this loan to service. <laughs> like that's a cool idea. But yeah, yeah, yeah. What, <laughs> I always laugh. What was Udi's uh, representation of Michael? Like his caricature of Michael Saylor is just like mortgage your house, buy Bitcoin, yeah. kill yourself. <laughs> like, it's just like, Jesus. He's not wrong, man. It's cracking me up. <clears throat> there was a lot of, interestingly, I think to report back from Amsterdam, uh, who would have guessed that the interest in inscriptions is like dead? <laughs> like, uh, joking, no one cared. Uh, those were completely like really not well attended. And um, oh, wait, you, you, who, who would have thought? The you would have thought, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. This yeah. fucking thing to hit Bitcoin. From well, day one, they, I said it was stupid. I think the publishing act aspect is interesting. And yeah, Mark did you see? Did you see the uh, warlocks, the I WikiLeaks? Did, yeah. Yeah, see, yeah, that's yeah, interesting yeah. to me. I can see the the value in that. You know. Yeah, I was talking to the guy who, well, the team who put those together, Whoa. an anonymous team, and it's pretty um, good use case. But options are going to be the be all and end all of this. I think the vast majority of what occurs on it is stupid, like valueless, like even the the art's terrible. There's a couple good projects that, I mean, I'm not saying they have value even to me, but you look at them, you're like, okay, that art's cool. Like this person put in time. Yeah. That's like a coherent series. Yeah. Um, I won't name any of them, but there, there were some events that we had to go to for this conference where I got to see some of the artwork. And I was like, okay, well, these are like at least a cut above the rest. Like this is a ton of thought went into these. Yeah and planning and ex execution if they're going to continue to drive like delay to their users whatever like what is it is mine how people spend their bitcoin right and i think the whole system will get replaced um more robust and i think the important part is not the innovation of like artifacts on bitcoin like that's been around we could do that without taproot right i mean it's not very data efficient and it's like ease but go ahead yeah speaking of that we didn't cover was it what was it called? BitVM or the new? Yeah, I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it, man. Okay. It's basically, yeah, 
it basically opens logic gates on chain. And so like in theory, it makes Bitcoin, you know, somewhat Turing complete. You could do anything, but you run into a runaway, like that gets a little bit and try hard to build certain things. But for simple, like smart contracts, I think you can pr propose them and then have them validated by another party pretty easily. So it could make something like lending on Bitcoin um, trustless. I don't know if it makes it completely trustless. I think it it could have interest. I was talking to Paul a lot at this conference, but we didn't really get into the BitVM. But I'm curious what effect it would have on drive chains, whether it's a viable competitor. But I think it's just going to take time for people to like actually build stuff on it. Yeah, it's very like high level theoretical right now. Like there's no product or service mm -hmm. offered. Um, really cool, man. I mean. Yeah, what th this is what I was getting back to. Like the biggest innovation of inscriptions is not like <laughs> inscriptions themselves. I think they're gonna dry up and it'll just be like this niche weird thing forever. But it's the fact that Casey like fucking did something, and he's just like, I'm gonna do this thing. It's the wrong thing, and <laughs> a lot of people are gonna lose money. A lot of people are gonna come to Bitcoin from it. I mean, he didn't know it was gonna happen, but it did bring a lot of people from crypto into bitcoin mm. now that's definitely kind of died off but uh in the beginning i remember the forums being you had hundreds of people asking how the fuck do i use bitcoin i want to do this inscription thing yeah. from crypto so that's cool but the important thing is is like depending on your kind of outlook here it is innovation on bitcoin and it is um firmly in this ossification camp um it's a little bit problematic to think like that because you what what you're saying is the current direction is okay. What we want, like complete institutional government capture coming and uh, never needs to change and it's perfect. And I think this just betrays like a not very good understanding of how software works and how it needs to be maintained and upgraded and changed to fit the needs of its user base on some scale. I'm not saying it needs to evolve to take on the um, tributes of these crazy tokens and start to change fundamentally what it is. But on some level, um, um, I don't know, kind of controversial, longstanding. That's going to, I think that those narrative and those arguments and that divisiveness is only going to increase. But I think that uh, the Rotomar opened the door for people to at least say, all right, let's try things. I mean, also supported by someone like Jeremy Rubin, who whose idea was an interesting idea, like a good, um, potentially a good upgrade, well thought out idea. It was just like he wasn't the right person to deliver it. As soon as he left it, people started uh, kind of accepting it as a potential proposal to OpCTV. I I know Paul about this too. Paul's like, I just don't get it, man. I can't. I was like, Paul, you got to just quit, man. It's you. You're in the of your idea. And he's like, yeah, you're right. I was like, you need to put together like a anti-Bitcoin conference, like an anti-conference. You need to start doing a daily anti-show. You need to start <laughs> rallying again, just become the enemy of of everyone. And then maybe they'll the take your ideas more seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this guy's hilarious. He's a great, I don't know if you've ever spent time or watched him, but he's a, he's a very good entertainer. I don't really, it, I came away with a very different um, in of him and what he's trying to achieve just by talking to him more. Hmm. I was like, yeah, I don't feel it's an attack on Bitcoin. This is someone who at their core believes Bitcoin needs to change and grow and maybe he's biased and does want his idea and sure all the developers do, but there's an argument. People think that it will be that Bitcoin will become the death to cryptocurrencies by subsuming 
their attributes in a way that doesn't compromise main chain integrity. And then obviously the, the controversy of uh, Paul's proposal is that you would need to make some changes right. and with all changes comes unforeseen consequences. So you gotta be, you gotta be very careful, yeah. you know, yeah. um, caution, but yeah, guys, certainly a interesting climate, a lot of stuff okay. going on. Um, a few more questions here, but we're, we're over time. So I might, I might save them for yeah. tomorrow. Let's wrap up. Cool. All right. Well, we should be back tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern. Perfect. Super excited to uh, get the stream rolling again with you guys. Thanks for everyone who joined us on Zap.Stream. I tuned in for a second. There's like 30 yeah. people watching. Yeah. Crazy. Our Crazy. biggest viewership. Love it. Uh, yeah. Shout out, James, to your comment on BitVM. Cool, cool, cool. And uh, yeah, Patrick, Derek Ross, everybody in the chat. Super appreciate you guys showing up. And we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.